Well, welcome back to Rooted. Um, after our festive slumber, we are back. This, I'll tell you this though, this is the first Rooted meeting that we are going to have in 2022. So, so take it in, folks. Take it in, waft the newness into your nostrils. We're here. All right, so we're starting a new series tonight in the new year. Uh, we just finished our kingship series, living out the attributes of Christ Jesus. Our new series, however, is called A Faith Anchored in Joy, and it comes for our study from the book of Philippians. So tonight I'm going to be focused more on an overview introductory of the book itself um, with chapter one and our next rooted meeting in two weeks, um, Thursday the 18th. Um, Jim Healy will be diving headlong into um, the rest of the chapter. So I'm, I'm super ecstatic. Um, so don't miss that night for sure. All right. So let me ask you a question. And that question is simply this. What would you actually give up if you could have real joy in your life? What would that look like? What would you sacrifice to get it? And then to eternally keep that in your life. So I'm not trying to be over spiritual when I say that word of sacrifice or joy. Um, So I don't want to use the cliche phrase or the usage of the word joy. So let me be clear on what I'm trying to say. Um, True joy is finding true delight in the areas of your life that have mostly been a sad, sobering funeral or a sad chapter in your life. What it would look like is jubilance or triumph over the dark memories that you have from your past that maybe have ruled your life. Or a spirit of exaltation and rejoicing when... To be truthful, there it makes no sense for you to have that peace in your life. So, especially in these seasons of pain and sorrow and heartache and hardships, to move in and to stay as an unwanted roommate can be very tough. Maybe you can relate with Paul the Apostle. Um, and I suppose if you start to think about the background of Paul, the writer of Philippians, you might realize that Paul was no stranger to true hardships. In fact, Paul describes his hardships as labor intensive, specifically ones that he boasts about, but sufferings of the cross of Jesus Christ. In Galatians, he writes this, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and to the world. So Paul is writing about his afflictions and worldly persecutions here, putting them all on display for everyone to see them. And he says the reason that he goes through those hardships is for the sake of Christ Jesus. So, I mean, okay, it's not that by today's standards that people don't go through trials or tribulations. People do, right? For real, no questions there. But 
in the United States, religious persecutions today compared to what Paul is talking about is very, very different, right? So let's examine for a moment when we look back at Paul mentioning the hardships that he's been through, the woes that he went through for the gospel. And this comes from 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 27. And um, Paul lists here a few of them, but all of them can be found in, in Acts from reading chapters 13 through 23. It kind of gives a, a summary of, of the things that are happening in his life. So carefully listen to this and, and, and examine the non-exhaustive list. Ready? Countless imprisonments, beatings, near-death experiences, whippings, stonings, shipwrecks, and continuous dangers confronting him on many levels. Dangerous river crossings. It sounds like a Western there. Highway robberies, sleepless nights, suffering hunger and thirst, and extreme exposure to elements. What, what boggles my mind when I look at that list is Paul's writing a letter to the Philippians and the main subject matter is joy. And despite Paul setting when he writes this letter, which is prison. And that's why we look at the prison epistles. It's one of the four prison epistles. This letter carries 16 different words for joy. So let's review and rewind back for a moment about the question that I asked earlier. What would you actually give up if you had real joy in your life? What would, what sacrifice would you give to keep it and keep it eternally? Now, to be fair, when we answer the question, we must make a distinction between the words happiness and the word joy. So happiness is a feeling based on a circumstance. Joy is an attitude that defies Circumstances. Happiness is a feeling based on circumstances. An attitude, joy, is an attitude that defies circumstances. Happiness is furthermore emotion that is temporary. It's there and it's gone. External, so from outside of yourself and ultimately comes from the environment that you might, you might find yourself in. Joy. Joy on the other hand, is a state of being. It's a constant condition and it's internal from inside the heart and the soul. And it's a passion that truly comes from God. Matthew Henry said it best when he wrote, oh, skip that slide. Whoops. That's the one I'm looking for. Okay, Matthew Henry said it best when he said this. No spiritually good thing dwells in us or can proceed from us. We must humble ourselves to the mercies of God and recognize that a need to be anchored in the Lord. So it may seem like a no-brainer when we talk about a need to be anchored in the guiding power of God. But despite this, despite that, we all need a daily reminder of this. I need a daily reminder of this to 
We, 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 we insist on this idea of, of doing it in our own power, anchoring ourselves through our own intelligence, casting our anchors in the undug shallows, welcoming the winds and the currents to knock our vessels off course with our own power. So I was in Florida in October. I was on a boat and I was tasked with the um, mission with casting the anchor into the sandbar. But let's just say this was definitely my first rodeo. I uh, definitely did not grow up by ships of any type or the beach. So I was unaware as I haphazardly tossed the anchor from the boat uh, that you needed somewhat of a horizontal angle uh, that when it lands in the ground, otherwise it's pretty easy for the boat to drift away. So a lot of times we toss our anchors out in the same way. We tether them without recognizing how properly to anchor ourselves to a firm foundation. Because the culture that we live in and the flesh that's desperately warring against our vessel tries to drag us away and create distance from us and God. So I assumed like I knew how to anchor the boat in Florida especially since I wanted to be in the know around Dina's parents. But instead of humbling and just asking, my, uh, asking them how, I simply just tossed the anchor off the boat thinking that it would stick. Let's just say I, I learned a good lesson in anchor management um, and humility. Anchor management. There we go. Not anchor management. Um, but the boat was fine. Family was fine. Crisis averted. Otherwise, you probably would have heard the story in October, which that would have been interesting. Um, But so often, and the truth of the matter is this, so often we're never really willing to ask for the way in order to anchor our vessels, right? The way to anchor our vessels, even in category five storms that come through our life, we hope to stay tethered, we hope to stay grounded and stay anchored in true joy. But that's sometimes very untrue. Paul writes about Christ as the anchor in 1 Corinthians 3.11. He says this, For no one can lay a foundation that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So my first point is this. We need to open our eyes. We have to open our ears and our hearts daily in humility, asking the Lord to anchor us securely in his welcoming arms. This means even even if we don't like the outcome, of a situation or the circumstance that that transpires, we still have to go to the Lord for his anchoring, not our own. And the truth of the matter is we live in an unpredictable world and I'm sure it's 2020, 2021, 2022, and the rest of the years can come would admit to that, yet we still have joy because we have anchored our hearts in the Lord. Only in that anchoring in Christ, we will have 
a true joy, an attitude that defies all circumstances, but a faith anchored in joy. So faith, which is a trust, a counting on God to show up, a reliance to keep him at his promises, because we know those promises never fail, and his promises and his will might be completely different than we thought they would be. Paul finds himself in prison for three years, count them, three years, and he writes these letters Definitely not what Paul had in mind. So, faith is our trust anchored in a joy, which is Christ. It's eternal. It's not circumstantial. It's not something that this world can take away. It's eternal joy. Yes, the world can take our happiness away. It can be brutal, We've all seen that. But this is a joy that the world cannot take away. It is eternal, friends. Beatings, imprisonment, death, loss of a spouse, family, jobs, financial ruin, anxiety, depression, broken marriages, deep wounds. They all bow at the cross. They answer to the current, to the winds of the one true anchor that directs all these vessels, which is Christ. Trouble will not always last, but the joy that can be found in a deep relationship with Christ Jesus is eternal, foreverlasting. And because that joy is signed, sealed, and delivered in Christ on the cross. Okay, a I realized I just um, referenced the Stevie Wonder song, and I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I, did not, I did not mean it anyway to do that. I just realized that right now. Good song, though. Good song. Um, but anyway. It's ours. Yeah. It's ours. It, your song? Yeah. Like your wedding song? No. Joy. <laughs> the joy. It's ours. That's perfect. Oh. Continue on. Good. Good. Thank you. I, I, I guess I only listened to it like once or twice. All right. Moving on. Um, so John Piper. John Piper talks about the eternal joy of Christ and finding true fulfillment when he says this. And I I love this quote. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So I'll say it again because I think it's it's a very poignant phrase. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So if... Um, you looked at the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, the first question that they, they ask is, what is the chief end of man? And what that means is, what is our true purpose? Um, when we actively anchor our faith to Christ, right? By doing this, we find true spiritual fulfillment in him. The Confession of Faith says to glorify him and enjoy him in every way. That is the chief purpose and the chief end of man. So when we find spiritual fulfillment in him, when the glory of the Lord is most glorified in our lives, we find true joy, true jubilation, triumph, exaltation, and rejoicing 
Not because of this physical, tangible things, but because of the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus. And in that, and only in that, and even in the deepest, darkest storms of, uh, that stretch our faith, we will always be satisfied. Deep down in our souls, a fire that cannot be quenched, a light that cannot be put out, knowing that we have a Savior who always loves us despite our sin and my sin, always forgives and leads us to a bay of peace in a chaos that is from the joy that comes from a faith that is anchored in Christ, who is our joy. So now, so now back to Paul, writing Philippians, finding himself locked away in a prison for three years, and this was in 60 to 63 AD, very well could have let the grief in his life overtake him. He could have left his feelings based on the circumstance of being in prison to find who he was. But instead, let's look at the text. Instead, he says in Philippians chapter 1, 12 through 14, and John read that for us. He says this, I'm reading out of the ESV. I want you to know, my brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having been confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are so much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul is telling the Philippians, the letter that he sends to the Philippian church, that Paul's imprisonment has not hindered the movement of the gospel in any way. Quite the opposite. He reminds the Philippians that his imprisonment has helped to serve the gospel. And Paul was not outside of God's will by finding himself in prison, but he was acting in God's will. Not just did Paul's persecution for Christ reach the ears of many of the disciples facing the same hardships in the area in order to give them strength, but here it made clear to the other observers who may not have been Christ followers that he was not just an ordinary prisoner, but he was doing the will of Christ when he was in prison, which led witnesses to giving their lives over to Christ. Even the palace guard and even the prisoners in these prison epistles, including the Philippians reaching the world today. So the text of the letter of Philippians is still reaching many today. So asking this question, even if there were moments where Paul doubted what God was doing in his imprisonment. God never wastes our time. Never wastes our time. He didn't waste Paul's time, but the truth of the matter is that many times we can waste his time, but not not sensing God's purpose for our lives in the moments that we go through. God's purpose for our lives, especially in the hardest moments that seem to fall on deaf ears as we truly understand them 
is this. So in, in 2003, suicide almost stole my life from me. 11 years later in 2014, suicide took my best friend's life. And at that moment, I was, I was very, very angry at God for a long time. At that time, I was never really able to reconcile God's purpose that he had for me, taking my best friend away from me. And the future that my best friend had as he was going into the Air Force Intelligence Division, making his way up. I so desperately wanted to walk away from the Lord, to numb the pain that was going on in my heart. So at college, I sought fast after toxic relationships and partying. I figured that that would numb the pain that was in my life. And I know I anchored my feelings and my circum to I anchored my life to my feelings and my cir- circumstances. And I sought after these earthly things that I thought could bring me joy. Because I thought if God could bring me joy, I thought God could bring me joy in those moments. That these earthly things could bring me joy. So I wanted to be as far possible away from God. I started enjoying and and serving these things in my life, thinking that these things would bring me joy. The deepest of all pains, the things in my life. But I started to become very frustrated and upset with God. There's nothing wrong with being angry and blaming God. I accused, I literally accused God of not loving my best friend. And not being the God of love that the Bible says in 1 John 4, 8. God is love. I questioned if, why? I questioned why. And I knew I would never know on this side of eternity why it happened. I honestly don't know how many times I asked that question of God. Why? It's definitely over our pay grade. I can tell you this. His life and who he was, nothing was wasted. He was one of the most caring, compassionate people that I've ever had the opportunity of knowing. We had constant conversations about who who God was. Um, And a little bit before he passed, this was... 2014, one of the last conversations we had was about God and I continued to share with him about how God was faithful even when it didn't seem like he was. And, and it was then I shared with him that, that he loves us, that he pursues us, that he waits with his arms open wide. And what I realized about all of this conversation was this conversation was really for me and not for him. Because at that time of that last conversation, I was interning at Penn State at a pastoral internship before he passed away. And it was his death and me struggling through all of that that God confirmed to me 
my call in ministry. I was working with a professional sports team at the time with the New Jersey Devils and my, my master's in sports administration. And I had my, my dream life ahead of me. I had my trajectory set up. But it was, it was truly losing my best friend that made me realize that I, I, I could blame God because of the pain that I was going through or I could go to God with my pain. I could anchor myself into anything and everything else because to me, this was the God that caused me pain instead of the one that gave me joy in this moment. But it, it was in that moment that I realized who God really was and going to God and having that intimacy in those moments with God was true joy. God was and is faithful even when it doesn't seem like it. And even when we don't know what he was doing and still to this day, I don't know why my best friend died. I don't. And even when the outcome is one we didn't wish for, or is death, in our lives, having a faith that is anchored in joy doesn't mean things will be easy. It won't. It very well could mean the opposite, like in Paul's case, meaning going through trials and tribulations and even through these spiritual canyons that we have in our life. Joy can be found in Christ and not in the circumstances that we go through. So even when the world is crashing all around us, friends, even if it means death and death of comfort in life, which Paul went through, joy is alive in Christ through the Holy Spirit and within us. So the book of Philippians and through this text indicates that instead of letting the circumstances that drove Paul in prison, he anchored himself in the Lord, letting the Holy Spirit effectively minister to him, bringing glory to God during the worst of worst of circumstances. And his proclamation of the gospel was not chained by his chains, but was rather unhinged by the power of the Holy Spirit. The chains could not stop the proclamation of the gospel. By proclaiming the gospel, Paul brought persecution to himself, walked a harder path than any one of us could truly know, but he did those things, and yet he knew things would not be easy for him. But the gospel was fruitful. It went forward, even with chains. So to wrap things up, Paul speaks about living our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Every moment held captive for the sake of Christ Jesus, to be known, to be found in him and his sacrifice for us on the cross. So Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, 27 through 30, he says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
So that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but your salvation that is from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but you should suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now that I still have. So living a life manner, in in a life sold out for Christ Jesus, is suffering for him. It's growing in him, struggling in him with the community of Christ that is around us. Because if you look at it, the 12 disciples, 10 of the 12 disciples were killed and martyred for proclaiming Christ in the gospel. John didn't, and Judas, we know his path. But the truth of the gospel... And Philippians says this so well. Paul says this so well. He says this, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with the full courage now as Christ Jesus will be honored in my body, whether by life or death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus, whether in life or or death, whatever it may be, we exemplify Christ in all we do. So having a faith that's anchored in joy means the opposite of playing it safe in every way. Living a daring life brings glory to God in the greatest and the most incredible times, the most senseless, horrific, painful times, in the moments in our life, and even in the times that are in between. So as we, con- as we ponder these questions regarding what it means to live out a joy and anchoring deep into Christ Jesus, we'll be hopefully encouraged by Paul. I know I am encouraged by Paul and what he has to say in the book of Philippians regarding the glory of God and the glory of of life, a life that is filled with joy and that's anchored in the true joy, which is Christ Jesus. So let me ask you a question. And the question is simply this. What do we actually need to give up to anchor deep into the oceans of joy found in Christ Jesus? What do we need to put behind to fully know the extent of the joy that Christ Jesus has for us. Will we anchor to know true joy? That's the question of Philippians. And it's a question we have to ask ourselves every day. So let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. That in any circumstance, life or death, financial ruin, 
relationships that are torn, divided by political unrest. Hardships like losing a best friend or losing a job that we always wanted or a baby that's unborn. Father, we lay these at the foot of the cross knowing that you are able, that you give us a peace that passes all understanding, a peace in the chaos. Father, and tonight, tonight we, we ask for the ability to be humble and say, Father, I don't know the answer. I don't know how to find joy, but I'm willing to trust in you because we know that you never break your promises. So I pray for all those people right now, Lord, that have so much unrest in their lives and that don't know where to find true joy. Father, tonight we pray that they would anchor deep into joy, into the joy that is forever, that is eternal, that is a fountain that is over pouring out, which is your grace. So Father, tonight we come together in discussion of of what it means to have true joy. And as we jump into this first chapter and the second chapter and all the chapters of Philippians, we ask that you would be with us, be with our words, be with our mind, as we captivate you and understand true joy. In your name, amen.